Good morning, everyone. Beautiful day. We've had some rain, and the ground feels fresh, and everything looks beautiful. We're so grateful. Prayer releases God's power. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. That's a big, big request or order from the Lord, isn't it, to pray without ceasing? <laughs> but that's what he'd like us to do. How many times have you heard someone say, all I can do is pray for you? All I can do is pray? You might as well say to a starving man, all I can do is give you food, or to a sick person, all I can do is give you medicine that will make you well, or to a poor child, all I can do is buy you a toy that you most want for your birthday. Praying unlocks the doors of heaven and releases the power of God. James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask, the Bible says. And be anxious for nothing, because in every, everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, Philippians 4, 6. And we are to let God know not only our needs, but the needs of others. So often our prayers focus only on ourselves, but God wants us to use, wants to use us through our prayers to touch the lives of other people as well. For whom should be uh, for whom should you be praying for today? The hope for today, it's an automatic response when we hear of someone's trial. I'll be praying for you. How often do we walk away and never think of it again? How fervently would we pray if we truly believed that prayer unleashed the power of God. So before I pray, I want to say that reading this, I look at Ernie and Anne and remember that all of us have been praying to see Ernie this day in a healthy condition, that all of us have been, had prayed for Bill when he was so sick, and all of us have prayed for Frank, and all of us have prayed for Robert, and for, uh, for Kathy, and Tom, and Dolores, and Wayne. We have been a church of praying people, and here we are today. Let's give this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we do bless and praise you. We do want to unleash your power in heaven on the people here today on our nation, Lord, on our church, on our direction, on this upcoming election that's going to be held on Tuesday. We desire your power to be unleashed and for us to walk day by day, moment by moment, in the blessing and the presence of the Lord. We ask you to be here today, and we ask you to touch our Pastor Frank as he speaks, and our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Oh, 
Psalm 27 this morning. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. If you'd like to stand with me, we can recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
stand up for Jesus, the strife will not be long. This day of noise of battle, the next the victory song. you sit down and every time you could have stood up, you know, but anyway, we decided not. Our New Testament reading today is again from Colossians, this time chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to, to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all is its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. And if you now join me in responsive reading. God of grace and glory, you call on us with your voice of flame to be your people faithful and righteous. As your beloved son embraced his mission in the waters of baptism, inspire us with the fire of your spirit to join in his transforming work. We ask this in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. God of all, creator of all, owner of all you have entrusted us with various things and uh, you trust us to you call on us to give back to share with others to share your word to share what it is to be part of your part of your kingdom so Lord 
The gifts we give today, we ask that they be blessed, that they be pleasing in your sight, and that we can use them properly to bless and worship you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Well, let me read our passage this morning. Um, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, this is Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, a place before you, an open door that no one can <coughs> shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're um, going through, again, uh, we're on our six of the seven churches. This one's Philadelphia. And uh, you can see there the, uh, the, the pattern we started out in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and then, then we went inland to Thyatira, Sardis, and we're in Philadelphia, and then um, next week we'll pick up Laodicea. So um, it, it's interesting. You, you, you ask the question, why these seven churches? I mean, these weren't the only churches at that time. Why these seven? And uh, Chuck Missler said, and I believe he's right, that each of these seven cities stood as, a, as an entrance into a, an area, or uh, in, in this case, Philadelphia, into the area called Phrygia. And I think um, you can see it in here. You see where Phrygia is? Kind of toward the left, uh, left there? Okay. That's the, the, the province of Phrygia. And so each of these cities, remember Sardis was uh, was the entrance to the Lydian um, province, and then, and then uh, Philadelphia is the entrance into the Phrygian uh, district or, or uh, area. And so Philadelphia was on a major highway from the harbor of Smyrna and Ephesus. And I think the next slide has that. Uh, you can see this is the system of the Roman roads 
And you can see it down where, where what is modern day Turkey, and you can see the, the roads. And the Roman Empire, the, one of the real strengths of the Roman Empire, there were many strengths, but one of the strengths was that they built a really good road system. And it went all through the empire. And so Philadelphia was a major, on a major highway from the harbor of Smyrna and Ephesus into the inner regions, and in this case, into uh, Phrygia. It was a stage on the main line of imperial communication, on an imperial post road from Rome and Troas to Pergamos. Troas was up on the coast um, of Turkey. Can't see it too well here, but, uh, um, <clears throat> but it would have been a major communication center and postal, you know, postal road, so a lot of communication went, went through Philadelphia. Um, and the Roman roads connected the whole empire of Rome with really well-constructed roads. The next slide. Um, this kind of gives a, I'll, I'll step over here. Um, I don't get feedback. Um, but they would, they would dig down well and then, um, and then level and then put bigger rocks in on a lower level and then finer rocks and then you know, finer rocks on top of that and then and then they would put it on a, um, um, a, a, an upper layer with, with fine, you know, fine materials and then bring a roller and roll, roll, the, uh, roll the road so to make it smooth. And they would, they, it would be arched like that and would have, have uh, channels on either side to take, the, to take the water away. So they were, you know, they were really probably provided the example or the prototype of a lot of what we do with roads today. And so they had this incredible system of roads that went all through the Roman Empire. Um, but the earthquake that devastated Sardis, we talked about last week, um, also hit Philadelphia and 10 other cities in this, in this uh, Lydian Valley. And so there were really 12 cities that got hit with this earthquake in 17 AD. And we've seen, you know, we've seen the effects of earthquake. We've been in an earthquake um, up in Bursa. Um, one time we were, <laughs> we, were uh, we, we were in our house and, and, um, and all of a sudden Caroline said, Frank, stop shaking my, my seat, my, my chair, will you? <laughs> and I said, I said, I'm not shaking. I was in the next room. And she turned around and went, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> but it was a, you know, it wasn't a huge earthquake, but it, we really did have, uh, you know, quite an earthquake. Well, one of them destroyed these 17 cities, and, or these 12 cities in 17 AD. And so the Philadelphians were known. They left the city. And, and many of them moved out into the countryside in huts and booths in order to protect themselves from the, from the earthquakes. I, that same kind of thing happens today. And particularly you go into some of these, uh, uh, you know, undeveloped countries, and when earthquake, earthquakes hit, they'll all move outside of the city and move out into the, in the countryside. But the uh, Philadelphia was in a place that had high... It was highly volcanic material and highly uh, volcanic 
uh, earth. And so the best crop that would grow was grapes. So the city of Philadelphia became known as, uh, known for its wine. And, uh, and the, the word Philadelphia, um, as you, you know, as we, as we have learned from our city here in the states of Philadelphia, uh, means it's, it, it, it actually means the friendly. The Philadelphia is the friendly church. Or it actually got its name from, there was a brother, King Eumenes II, and he passed on the um, kingship or emperorship to his younger brother, Attalus II, and they, the two of them were really close. And, you know, that, often that didn't happen. There, there would be great jealousy and even brothers would kill brothers and so on. But these two were really close. And so uh, he became known as Philadelphus, and the city became then Philadelphia, or the city of brotherly love. And, you know, we have the same thing, Philadelphia today. Well, because of the earthquakes, they suffered economic and physical disruption for decades. And it, 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 it set them back as a city. Um, they changed their name. Um, and then Tiberius, the emperor Tiberius, came in and helped them to rebuild. And so they named their city, they renamed it Neo-Caesarea, which means the new Caesar, or the new city of Caesar. And then later, in the time of Vespasian, the Roman emperor, they changed it to Flavia, his family name. But those designations and new names didn't stick, and it went back to being called Philadelphia. Today, uh, it is called Alashehir in Turkey, uh, in Turkish, and, and that can mean various things, but probably means the Red City, okay? And city was prosperous, especially in the 13th and 14th centuries A.D. Uh, it was an important producer of leather goods and red-dyed silk. That's why they think uh, it, it got its name, the Red City. Um, the only ru ruins today are um, actually from a 6th century A.D. Byzantine church. So it's one that has some of the, the, the least of the ruins of any of the seven churches. Next slide up, too. Yeah, so you can see. Uh, so that's actually a Byzantine church. You know, what they do is, just like we would do, uh, succeeding generations, they take the stones or the, you know, the cut rock and so on from the earlier civilizations and build their houses. And you can see that. We see that all the time in Turkey. There'll be, there'll be uh, uh, houses that would be built from the rocks, from earlier generations of, uh, of building. So that's what happened with that. So the church in Philadelphia then is known for its faithfulness. That was the main message to them was that they were faithful. And because Christ is faithful, the first verse says, these are the words of him who is holy and just, who holds the keys of David. When he opens, no one can shut him. What he shuts, no one can can open. And so uh, Philadelphia then is built upon faithfulness because, because Jesus is faithful. That's part of who he is. 
and in his kingship, Jesus' kingship, rests on the bedrock of his character. And a key component of the character of Christ is that he is absolutely faithful. Now, that is a contrast, quite a contrast, with Islam. And Islam, uh, God in Islam, God is capricious. And that means that God can come in and change his mind. He'll say one thing, and then he can turn right around and, and, and say something that is actually contradictory to that. And, and they will say, well, you know, God is God. God can do whatever he wants. But we as Christians, we count on, and we as people, we count on the fact that God does what he says when he says he's going to do it. God is always faithful. His word is faithful. He is faithful. He is holy and he is faithful. And he is true. He's real. He's genuine. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. So our God, and we count on this, we count on the fact that our God is, is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And his purposes and his plans are going to be fulfilled because he is utterly and absolutely faithful. And the word faithfulness, emet, in the Hebrew means stability or continuance or sureness or reliability. God is reliable. Isn't that incredible? God is reliable. If he said he's going to do something, he is going to do it. And we can, you know, we can, so, so to speak, hang our hat on that. God speaks, he's going to fulfill what he says he's going to do. Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God always, God who was, who is, and who will be is absolutely faithful. Now, so the good news is, that the church in Philadelphia reflected God's faithfulness, and they were faithful to do what God gave them to do. Um, in verse 8, I know your deeds. See, a place before you, an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So the church in Philadelphia had, uh, it says they had little strength. So they were kind of at the end, and yet they hung on. And it's interesting that there are no exhortations given to the church in Philadelphia. Remember, there are seven, seven parts of, of each one of these uh, admonitions to the churches, and, and there were only two churches to which no exhortations were given. Like, you didn't do this, and what about this? Uh, and Philadelphia and Smyrna were those two churches and both of them were in times of persecution. That's also interesting. By the 14th century, the city was surrounded by Turkish armies. If you remember, um, the, the, um, in Rome, the Rome gave, gave way to the Byzantine Empire. There was a division of the Roman Empire and the Byzantine Empire. Okay, remember that whole thing? Okay, and, and so the Byzantine Empire was in what we call Eastern Christianity, and then the Roman Empire was Western Christianity. And we, 
you know, we kind of get, we have our roots in Western Christianity. We came out of Europe and, and so on. But Eastern Christianity was a whole different ball game, and that was the Byzantine Empire. The capital was in uh, what became known as Constantinople, or the city of Constantine. And, and, then, and then gradually, the Turkish armies came in, and in, in you know, beginning in, I, you know, in the 1100s and so on, well, actually earlier than that, but the Turks moved from Central Asia, moved down into what was then Anatolia, and began to conquer city after city. Well, Philadelphia was the one of the was one of the cities that endured the, the longest. They stayed faithful to the Byzantine Empire, and the Byzantine Empire was a Christian empire, in a sense. Constantine established it as a Christian empire. So, twice it was besieged by great Turkish armies and its people reduced to the verge of starvation, but they had learned to defend themselves and to trust no king or external government, and they resisted successfully to the end. So twice they had repelled Turkish attacks and had hung on. At last, about 1379 to 1390, it succumbed to a combined Turkish and Byzantine empire. Actually, the Byzantine Empire, <laughs> which, you know, they had been part of the Byzantine Empire. The Byzantine Empire was so corrupt by that point that they helped the Turkish armies to defeat uh, Philadelphia. So, so what the Turks alone had, had not been able to do, they joined with the Byzantine forces and they, they defeated Philadelphia. But Philadelphia was, was faithful to what God had told them to do. And that's what it says. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. And those phrases are both in the aorist tense in Turkey, or in Turkish, in uh, Hebrew, I'm sorry, in Greek, <laughs> okay, which describes one definite act in the past. So there had been some kind of point, and we don't know what point that was, that Philadelphia had remained true and had kept the word of the Lord some kind of event that they, they just hung on. So Philadelphia had been faithful through all the, all the stuff that had come against them. And you can compare this to the message given to the church at Smyrna. Remember that the two, Philadelphia and Smyrna, were the ones where there was no exhortation. Not, they weren't doing anything wrong. Uh, Revelation 2, 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty. Yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. We can see a parallel there as well. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. And then he tells them, be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So very similar kind of language that we see with Philadelphia. But with Philadelphia... Jesus says, you've already been faithful. You've hung, on, you've hung in there. The church in Smyrna was poor and oppressed, but the Philadelphian church had but little power. So there was life for Smyrna, honor and dignity for Philadelphia are promised, and a crown of life for both of them. So as Jesus was faithful, so was the church at Philadelphia. And Philadelphia became the promoter and the missionary city for Greek culture. 
So as a city, okay, now moving a bit away from Philadelphia as a church to Philadelphia as a city, they became the chief, chief purveyor or promoter of Greek or Hellenistic culture. And so they, they took Hellenistic culture into the whole province of Phrygia. So Philadelphia, both as a city, but then as a church, was a missionary city. The, 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 the city itself taking Greek culture into Phrygia, but the church taking Christ into those, you know, into the uh, province of, of Phrygia. And um, so when Polycarp was murdered in Smyrna in 156 AD, remember that? We talked about Polycarp and the, the martyrdom of Polycarp in Smyrna. Remember that? You probably don't remember. Okay. Anybody remember that? <laughs> okay. Anyway, we did talk about that. Um, there were 11 other Christians from Philadelphia who were also murdered at the same time. So Philadelphia had hung in there. They'd been, they'd, they'd, even though they had little strength, they kept the word and they had not denied the name of Jesus Christ. And there are seven commendations given to the church in Philadelphia. <clears throat> and the first one is, I know your deeds. So Philadelphia had, you know, Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know what you've done. And he's obviously, he's pleased with them for what they've done. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Um, now, one commentator says, and I, and I think it's a good one, that it's an open door for ministry. The question is, what is this open door? Okay? And one um, commentator, I, I, a really good commentator, Ramsey, uh, and he said it's, it's, it's an open door for ministry that they could take the gospel into Phrygia. And Christ had opened a door so that they could, they could be missionaries into that whole region. First Corinthians, and he says that because every other reference in the New Testament to an open door is an open door for ministry. First Corinthians 16, 9, because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. That's from Paul. Again, Paul. Second Corinthians 2, 12. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Again, it's an open door for ministry. Colossians 4.3, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So the open door is probably the door for ministry. Then he says, I know you have little strength. And sometimes, you know, I mentioned before um, that probably some of the things that Jesus says to these churches were a surprise to them. And probably this is a su surprise. The church in Philadelphia is just hanging on, just barely hanging on, and Jesus says, I know you have little strength, but you've kept my word. You've done what I've asked you to do. And sometimes in our lives, isn't this true? We think we're, we have little strength, we think we're just barely hanging on, and Jesus says, good job. You have hung on there. You stayed in there. You've hung on. And you've not denied my name. And then he says, I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have 
loved you. Now, we don't know exactly who these, these Jews are, the synagogue of Satan. Um, one view is that they are um, what we call Judaizers. They were those who said that in order to become a Christian, you had to be a good Jew. You had to be circumcised. You had to keep the law of Moses as well as much as you could. And the, the door into Christianity was through being a good Jew. And they, they said that because where did the gospel start? The gospel started, the gospel of Christ started out as a sect of Judaism. And so the Jews said, okay, you've got to be a good Jew and then you can be a good Christian. And that's what Paul just absolutely, you know, went, went crazy over that whole thing and said, no, no, it's, it's by faith. It's not by the works of the law. It's by being faithful to Jesus Christ. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. This is Paul. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. In, in other words, if you think that you can be justified before God by being circumcised and by keeping the law, then where's Christ in all that? Where's Jesus in that? Again, I declare to you, everyone who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obliged to keep the whole law. So you're right back to, in other words, if you start down that road, you've got to keep the whole thing. You've got to, be, you've got to do everything that the Mosaic law tells you to do, plus walk with Christ. And he says, no, 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 that's not it. You, your faithfulness is to Jesus Christ. You are saved by grace alone. Chuck Missler says that he thinks that this, these Jews were those that had a replacement theology. Okay? Let me define that for you. Um, replacement theology says that everything that the promises given to the Jews, okay, all those promises to, to the Jews and to the to the uh, the nation of Israel as a, as a nation, that all those promises are passed on to the church. They are nullified, and then those are passed on to the church. And Missler says, no, um, that the promises that were given to the nation of Israel still stand. And we read in Romans chapters 9 through 11, that's what Romans 9 through 11 is all about, that the Jews, that the, the Jews are going to be grafted in again to all the promises that were given to them. There's a time of the Gentiles, that's us, but then that is going to come to an end and that in the, in the end time, there is going to be then a resurgence of, the, of, of Israel and all those promises that are given to Israel are going to be fulfilled um, uh, to the nation of Israel. Okay? So he says it's, it's uh, those were the Jews, and so there's really two different views about who these Jews were, the synagogue of Satan. So, what are the promises then to the church in Philadelphia? Philadelphia had been, a, had been, a, um, had been faithful to God. They'd done what God told them to do. And here's what he says he's going to do for them. Number one, see, I place before you an open door that no one can shut. Jesus is sovereign, and he's opened a door for them. 
Number two, I will make those who are in the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. So he's saying that those, whoever those Jews were, they're, they're going to come before and they're going to bow down before him and say, you are right. You're the ones who are loved by God. He also says, I'll keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. And we don't know exactly what that, what that hour of trial is. There's really three different ideas of that. First is, is that they're going to keep them from further earthquakes. And Philadelphia, after the, these initial earthquakes, had, you know, other tremors, but not a major earthquake. Number two, it would keep them from persecution. And number three, it would keep them in the end time. In other words, talking about the end time that, that uh, God would protect the, those in Philadelphia. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it is, to tell you the truth, what that hour of trial is. But, but whatever it is, Christ is going to protect them from it. Number four, I'm coming soon. And the coming of Christ is used for two purposes in the New Testament, as a warning to the heedless and as comfort for the oppressed. And so probably he's talking about comfort for the oppressed here. James 5.8. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And then he, Hebrews 10.37. For in just a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay. So, so he's saying that he is going to keep them. Um, and, and that when he says, I'm coming soon, he's saying, I'm going to bring comfort to you. Then he says, I'll give you the crown of life. Uh, we saw that in the admonition to Smyrna, that he would give them the crown of life. But what's interesting about this is that they already have the crown. Okay? He says I, I, that they will not take the crown away from you. They had been faithful, and because they'd been faithful, Jesus says, you already have the crown, and no one's going to take it away from you. So when you are faithful to God, isn't this good news? When you are faithful to God, no one can take that crown away from you when you do what Jesus asks you to do. Number six, he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. <laughs> well, and what this is talking about is that there have been all these earthquakes and the thing that the Philadelphians were looking for was stability and Jesus says, I'm going to make you a pillar. I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you a pillar in the house of my God. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and I'll write on him my new name. Okay, so Jesus says he's going to do all kinds of things for this church in Philadelphia because they had been faithful. Christ rewards those who are faithful. And Jesus does the same kind of thing. And I like to, you know, talk, what does this mean to us? Okay, how do we tap into this? What does it mean to this church at this time? Well, first thing is this, that we are to hang on, hold on to what we have so that no one can take our crown. And I have been, I have been, you know, I've been with you guys for two and a half years now. And, and I, I can still say, as I did at the beginning, that this is a faithful church. I mean, we have, as a church, we have, we have held on. We've, 
We've, we've held in there. We've, we've hung on to the word of God. We've hung on to Jesus. And Jesus sees that. And so we're to hold on to what we have. No matter how much strength we think we have, you know, we might think, well, you know, Lord, we don't have a whole lot of strength there. Jesus says, no matter what strength you think you have, hang on. Hold on to what you have. The word in the, in the Greek is hold fast, not to discard or let go. Keep carefully and faithfully. Keep carefully what God has given to us. Hold on. And, you know, we hold on to what we believe is valuable, don't we? You have things in your house and, and friends and so on that you hold on to because you value them highly. Uh, we have in our house, we have a, um, an, in, it's in our bedroom. It's an old cherry rocker that belonged to my grandmother. And, and we hang on to that. You know, no matter where we go, we'll probably take that cherry rocker with us. Because, it, you know, it's a beautiful piece of furniture and it belonged to my grandmother and to my mother. And so we're going to hang on to that, okay? Well, we hang on to what we see as valuable, don't we? And the thing that is the greatest value is the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, 44. Kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So when we see something that is valuable, and we know it's valuable, we hang on to it. We keep it. We take care of it. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I pray all the time that my kids will see the worth of the kingdom of God. You pray that for your kids? I pray all the time. I say, God, will you open their eyes to the worth, the supreme worth of the kingdom of God? And our friends and those whom you love that you would open their eyes, that they will see the worth of the kingdom of God. Because if we see the worth of the kingdom of God, we'll devote ourselves to it. So what are we to hang on to? What are we to be faithful to? We're to be faithful to our God. Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I found in a, on, the, on the website... Um, this uh, attacks on the exclusive claims of Christ and, and our response to that. And let me read through these. I thought these were really good. Um, so Jesus has exclusive claims. He's the only way to heaven for several reasons. He was chosen by God to be the Savior. He's the only one to have come down from heaven and returned there. He's the only person to have lived a perfect human life. He's the only sacrifice for sin. He alone fulfilled the law and the prophets. He's the only man to have conquered death forever. He's the only mediator between God and man, and he's the only man whom Christ has exalted to the highest place. So you get, you know, there's, there's a, today a lot of attack on the exclusive claims of Christ. Isn't that true? You know, a lot of people could say, well, you know, it's, it's fine you're a Christian, that's good. I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that you, you, you believe something, but let's not exclude other religions. There, there are so many pathways to God, and they all lead to the same God, and so let's be friends together. And 
And, and your exclusive claims are what are keeping you from, from adding to and blending into the culture, our present day culture. And we say as Christians, uh-uh. Christ said he's the way, the truth, and the life. That's the only way that you can get to the Father is through Christ, period. And this, you know, this is what we're going to face in the future, folks. This is, this is the big one, I think, that we're going to hear about this uh, because we say Christ is the only way to the Father and that Christ's word is in there. It is, it is the word of God. And we don't, you know, we don't, you know, sure there, there's, there's good things in other religions and so on and other writings and so on, but the absolute truth is found in one's place, in one place only, that's in with the word of God. Period. Jesus spoke of himself, the only way to heaven is several places. John 14, 6, one of them. Presented himself as the object of faith. He said his words are life. He promised that those who believe in him will have eternal life. He is the gate for the sheep, the bread of life, and the resurrection. No one else can rightly claim those titles. Or as it says, either Jesus was a liar or a lunatic or the son of God. I mean, you know, there's no other choice. He was either a liar because he said he was the son of God and he was the only way to the Father. He was a lunatic. He was just deluded. Or he was the son of God. You don't have another choice. You can't say, well, Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't the son of God. Next thing that we're faithful to is our faith. Matthew 24, 10. At that time, this is in Jesus uh, talking about the end times. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And there's going to come a time um, in, the, you know, in the end, if we're, if we're in the last days, which I think we probably are, I don't know for sure, but if we are, many are going to turn away from the faith, will betray and hate each other. But Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what we hang our, that's what we hang our hat on. That's our, that's our confession of faith. There's no other way to the Father. Acts 4, 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Yes, we love, we love, we love everybody. God has you know, has called us to love everybody. But that love is only found through Jesus Christ. And the kingdom of God is through Jesus Christ. Psalm 119, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so we hide the word of God so that we are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 119, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. 1 John 5, this is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? How do we overcome? How do we be overcomers? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
That's our testimony. That's how we overcome the world. That's how we stand strong. That's how we are faithful to the end, is that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And lastly, we stand faithful because of our ministry. You know, I hear, I hear constantly of Christians who are preparing for the last days by stacking, stocking up guns and food and supplies and so on, and getting ready for the last days. You know, we're going we're gonna to build a bomb shelter under a house, and we're going to do all these things because they're coming for us. And, I, and whenever, you know, somebody says that to me, I always think, now, wait a minute. What does Jesus say we're supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when, when things get really rough? Well, he says it in Matthew 24, 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. So how do we face the last days? We do what Christ has told, has told us to do. Every, every one of us has things that God, a ministry that God has given to you, a purpose that he has put you on the face of this earth. And so we prepare for the end days by doing what he's given us to do and be faithful to what God has called us individually to do for him. Now, I believe, my, I believe that the, the main thing that God has given to me, and, and it's been confirmed over many, many years, is teaching. So in the end days, what should I be doing? I need to be teaching as much as I can teach. Help as many people as I can. Help people to grow in Christ. But all of us have different gifts and different things that God's given us to do. So what are we to do? Continue to do what Christ has told you to do and do it faithfully until he tells you something else. That's what we're called to do. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what are you supposed to do? Go and make disciples. Help each other out. Help each other to stand strong. Help each other to be faithful to what God has called us to do. And do it joyfully. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>
Let us pray. Lord, what we've learned about Philadelphia, that they were faithful regardless through all challenges, through earthquakes, other challenges as they were overrun by other armies, they stayed faithful, Lord, faithful to you. And that we ask be what we become, that we will always be faithful, that we always go back to your word to find your truth, and that we understand and follow you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.